Hey everyone, welcome to a brand new edition of The Thatcher Effect, a top 10 Utah Utes podcast. In today's episode, I'll share my thoughts and opinions on the Pac-12 media rights deal and break down the new release of the Pac-12's all first and second team selections. Plus, the best win bracket has kicked off with a bang. Who won the first two matchups and what are my thoughts on the matchups coming up this week? That's all happening right now on The Thatcher Effect. Hey, Thatcher Effect fans, this episode is brought to you by SeatGeek. Be sure to use code VSN for $20 off of your first purchase. To start off the show, we'll get going with this week's headlines, and we've got two big ones. First off, Utah football had six first-team selections for the preseason Pac-12 all-conference team. Brant Keithy, Satoa Laumea, Keaton Bills, Junior Tafuna, Karene Reed, and Cole Bishop are the Utes who made the first team while Van Fillinger and Lander Barton made the second team. Michael Mokofisi, Jonah Ellis, Travis Broughton, and Zamaya Vaughn made honorable mention. And congratulations to all those guys. My thoughts on today's list coming up later in the show. Utah basketball earned a commitment from Turkish forward Karan Efigalu, and apologize if I can't get that last name correct. This commitment fills up the run-in Utes' 13th and final scholarship spot. And this is something that Craig Smith and company have failed to do in his first two years up on the hill. The six foot eight big man chose Utah over the likes of Wyoming, Marquette, and Wisconsin. He recently played for Andalou Efes and dominated for Turkey in the World Cup. An excellent spot up shooter, and I'll be sure to comment on the state of the running use roster within the coming weeks. But today, it's going to be all Utah Utes football. In today's episode, I wanted to talk about the Pac 12 media rights deal. And this is in regards to a Tuesday ESPN article that was released by Heather Dinich, who is a senior writer for the network. I'm going to read through her article and then discuss um, my comments on what I thought of what she wrote and what's been going on basically for the past year with the Pac-12 and their media rights deal. The Pac-12 expects to release details of its highly anticipated media rights deal in the near future, a leak source with knowledge of the conversations told ESPN on Tuesday. The deal will not be announced at Pac-12 Football Media Day on Friday in Las Vegas, the source told ESPN. It is likely to include a mix of streaming and linear options and is expected to be on par with the ACC and Big 12, the source said. Our 10 schools have been ridiculously patient, the source said, adding that the league's patience to make a deal has led to more bidders coming to the table. That patience is about to pay off. For the Pac-12 to stay intact after the departure of USC and UCLA to the Big 10 in 2024, the 10 remaining presidents and chancellors have to sign the grant of rights, which will depend on their satisfaction with the new deal. The 10 schools in the conference have pre-negotiated the grant of rights deal and agreed on the terms, including how the revenue would be split, which signifies commitment to the conference, at least for right now. The length of the grant of rights will mirror the terms of the television contract. Leaders throughout college athletics have been paying close attention to the Pac-12 and waiting for months to see how, if at all, the new deal could further impact conference realignment. The biggest flight risk, according to sources, has been Colorado, and it remains to be seen if the administration there has the patience to wait for the new deal before making a major decision that could have a tidal wave of effects. The uncertainty in the Pac-12 has been magnified by the Big 12's unabashed interest in the possibility of further conference expansion and its six-year, $2.2 billion television deal with ESPN and Fox that runs through 2031. The Big 12 opened its negotiations early and completed its agreement before the Pac-12, even though the Pac-12's current television deal ends a year earlier. The Pac-12 has never wavered from its timeline, which has been to complete its media deal, get the grant of rights signed, and then consider further expansion. 
According to sources, the Pac-12 board months ago narrowed its scope to a handful of schools. However, because the expanded 12-team college football playoff will reward the six highest-ranked conference champions in 2024, some schools in the league believe there will be a benefit to being in a conference of 10 as opposed to 16. And that is the article by Heather Dinich from ESPN. Now, here are my thoughts on what's been going on with the Pac-12 media rights deal. This, in my opinion, has been blown way out of proportion, and especially by members of the Big 12. If you were ever concerned about the rivalry between Utah and BYU, look no further than what has happened between two Power 5 conferences within the last year. BYU and Utah on social media have gotten the Pac-12 and the Big 12 fan bases to go against each other in very real ways. I mean, just as of last week, Texas Tech podcasters are going against Utah fans. I mean, it's weird. But I think because the Big 12 got their new commissioner in Brett Yormark, who comes from a similar background as George Klyovkov, the commissioner for the Pac-12 did, he immediately came in, got themselves a media rights deal, secured it, and it's a decent deal. Um, all these schools are going to get paid very good, uh, especially for BYU fans, compared to what you were getting in independence. Like this is, you're actually getting income now. BYU is going to be able to build facilities, and this is going to help with recruiting. But for the Pac-12, I feel like there's half of social media that's like, this is going to be a really good deal. This is going to be better than the Big 12. And then the Big 12 is like, the Pac-12 is going to get a deal with Cartoon Network, and that's where they're going to get all the games. Like, it's too far, and it's not, nothing is close to what it's actually going to be. So to start off, I just think whatever you're hearing, whatever sources you're getting, I think this has been blown way out of proportion. Second off, the rumor has been that the Pac-12 is going to be um, signing with a streaming service. First off, it started with Amazon, and now it's kind of shifted towards Apple. Now, the main concern for Pac-12 fans and kind of the main factor of Big 12 fans' arguments is that a streaming service limits visibility. I don't really care about visibility because the Pac-12 hasn't had a problem with visibility in the past. I mean, just look at the Pac-12 networks. Terrible deal made by Larry Scott. But as far as I'm concerned, the best programs in the conference have been doing just fine in terms of revenue. Um, especially with the deal with ESPN, Fox, the best Pac-12 teams are always on display on a national scale on a weekly basis. As a Utah fan, the best games have always been on display for everyone to see. I can count on probably one hand where some games were not on national television that maybe should have been. But a streaming service is not bad at all, and especially because ESPN has already been vocal about the probability of their network moving to more of a streaming service. I think all linear networks are now realizing that streaming is probably becoming the future of sports. Amazon has already dipped their toe into it with Thursday Night Football. Apple TV or Apple has dipped into streaming with MLS signing a deal with the entire um, organization. ESPN, in my opinion, is due for the same course. And it's very clear because of the massive layoffs they just had with a lot of their star talent, as well as the decline in viewership and ratings that they've had, especially with some of their big broadcasts. Um, the college football playoff is a great example. It's had a decline in viewership ever since its beginning back in 2014. And don't get me started on the NBA's 
reported new broadcast team for the NBA Finals. You have a legend in Mike Breen, and now they're going to bring in Doris Burke and Doc Rivers. I mean, ESPN, in my opinion, is going downhill, and I think they're on their way to more of a streaming service. So if the Pac-12 were to be able to get a deal with the likes of Apple or Amazon, in my opinion, they're ahead of the game because I think that's where the world of sports is going. Apple TV or Amazon is a great partner, and I'll give a few reasons why. Apple TV is a great partner, mainly because of the fallout fallout with Disney and Bob Iger's recent comments about changes that need to be made within the organization. For those of you who don't know, ESPN and ABC are subsidiaries of Disney, and so Disney owns both of those um, networks. Uh, Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney, recently came vocal and public about what he wants to change within his company as he extended his contract with Disney. And one of the things was that ESPN is causing a lot of financial risk and that he really wants to rethink how their partnership will be moving forward. And that also included their partnership with ABC. He made it sound like he's most likely going to be dropping ABC within the near future, but ESPN could definitely be a part of that. And if ESPN is a part of that, I don't know what will happen with that network, but if the Pac-12 has already signed a deal with Apple, that doesn't concern them in the slightest concerning their media rights deal. Another, I'd say, pro or bonus of signing with a streaming service would be financially. Yes, you'll have limited visibility, but Amazon and Apple have money. As I've just said, ESPN does not have money. In fact, they're losing money. Disney has lost almost a billion dollars with some of their last projects. Everything with Disney is going downhill. So to sign a deal with ESPN, in my opinion, could also mean a death sentence for the Pac-12. Signing a deal with Apple or Amazon, first up means that you are going to get money. Both of those organizations have tons of money. The companies are willing to spend, and mainly because I think they want to expand their sports kingdoms. You already saw that Apple bought, like I said, bought a deal. They own all the MLS rights. Amazon has Thursday Night Football. I think that both both of these companies can make a great deal towards the Pac-12, which will be in the school's favor to get just as much, maybe a little less, than the Big 12 and the ACC which in my opinion is a win. And when that comes out, I wonder what Big 12 fans will be saying after they've slandered the Pac-12 for basically thinking that they're going to get a penny for this new deal that's coming up. I think Apple TV would be a great partner for the Pac-12 net, for the Pac-12 conference. And I think Apple can then absorb the Pac-12 networks. I think um, the Pac-12 network has a great load of talent but it was just run incredibly poorly by Larry Scott. I think it, the fact that they did not partner with a mainstream linear network at the time held the conference back. But I think there is a bright future for the conference, despite what opposers are saying outside. I think that Utah specifically as a program is going to be fine. And whether you want to talk about future conference realignment, whether you want to talk about media rights deal, I think the Utes are sitting in a great place. We've already seen that, say, the Pac-12 and a weird circumstance were to crumble within these next few years. The Big 12 will totally give an invitation to the Utes. And if they don't, uh, as far as I know, Utah is on the far end of the Big 10's radar. I know that's super hopeful, but they are on the very end of that radar. I know it's the end, 
but at least they're on there. And I think that has something that's something there's something to be said about Utah's prominence within football, especially with what they've done in the last two years, winning back to back Pac-12 championships. The program is being put on notice. And I think the culture that Kyle Whittingham has set up has put Utah in such a good place so that no matter what happens with conference realignment or with a media rights deal, the Utes are going to be in a safe and secure place. So as a Utes fan, I'm not worried in the slightest. As a Pac-12 fan, there have been times where I've been worried. But as of right now, I'm not really that concerned. Of course, that could change. This These last 10 minutes could be totally wrong. And I'm excited to see what they do come out with proposedly in the next, in the near future. But as far as I'm concerned, the Utes are in a great place. And the Pac-12 media rights deal is being blown way out of proportion. Utah's going to be just fine. And I think the Pac-12 will be fine, at least for right now. I think after the media rights deal, you have to look at expansion. And then after expansion, now you can start talking new media rights deals. Um, As far as I'm concerned and what I have heard is that the media rights deal will only be a short-term deal, meaning one year or two years. That way, the Pac-12 can secure um, financial uh, security for the schools that are in the conference as of right now without USC and UCLA. But then after a year or two, if conference realignment is continuing to be a hot topic within college sports, then the conference can look to expand and then renegotiate a deal. Because they don't want to be like the ACC where you're trapped until 2093 with a media rights deal. And then your schools are getting furious because the landscape is shifting, but they're not allowed to change because of because you tried to lock down an average deal 50 years ago. The Big 12, they also, in my opinion, rushed into a rights deal, a media rights deal. I think it was a good one. I think it was average. I don't think it was fantastic, but I think it gets the job done. So if I was a Big 12 fan, I think you're doing fine, but I don't think you're doing great. The Pac-12, I think, will do fine. They're going to be the same thing. They're going to be in the same boat conversation as the Big 12, as reported by ESPN. So I'm not concerned, but I'm also not elated. Because let's be honest, the only conference that's going to get a really good media rights deal is going to be the SEC, and it's going to be the Big 10. Both of those conferences have been very open and expanding, and they're getting top-tier programs from the other Power 5 conferences. Big 10 got USC and UCLA. The SEC got Texas and Oklahoma. But I think what's also hard for the Pac-12 is that they have to recover from a market like USC and UCLA have. Oklahoma and Texas football are big brands in the sport. But it's not the same television market as Los Angeles. Los Angeles is a top-two television market in the entire country. That's what the Pac-12 had going for it, and that's what kept those that revenue up for so long is because you had USC and UCLA. Sure, the fans don't show up to the games in person, but man, they watch them at home on TV, and that's why Utah and other schools within the Pac have been, be, been able to be just fine with revenue in terms of media rights deal um, throughout the past. So in conclusion, I think the Pac-12 is going to be just fine. I don't think it's going to be great but I think they're going to be okay. I'm excited to see what comes out in the supposed near future. All right, on to topic two. The Pac-12, as I mentioned in the headlines, came out with their all-conference first team and second team selections with some honorable mentions. Now, I'm going to open up the list that came out today. I'm going to go through the athletes, players, and then talk about some 
topics and themes that I personally thought of after going through this list. Here is the first team offense for the Pac-12. Quarterback Caleb Williams out of USC. No surprise there. He's coming off of a Heisman year, looking to repeat. I, I don't think anyone can disagree with that selection. Running back Damian Martinez out of Oregon State. Running back Bucky Irving out of Oregon. Wide receiver Rome Adunze out of Washington. Wide receiver Dorian Singer out of USC. Tight end Brant Keithy from Utah. Offensive lineman Satoa Lomea out of Utah. Offensive lineman Joshua Gray from Oregon State. Offensive lineman Troy uh, Fataunu from Washington. Offensive lineman Tylisi Fuaga from Oregon State. And offensive lineman Keaton Bills from Utah. Utah was first in the conference in uh, total amount of first-team selections. They had six. And in that offense alone, they have, I believe I read off three. Two offensive linemen and then Brian Keithy. Um, I really don't have anything to disagree with that list. As you can notice, Utah's going to be going up against the likes of really good wide receivers in USC and Washington and really good running backs out of the Oregon schools. So Utah's got their work cut out for them on defense. But lucky for the Utes, they also have a lot of selections for the defense. On first-team defense, it's Braylon Trice from Washington from the defensive line. Defensive lineman uh, Liatu Latu from UCLA. And excuse me if I'm mispronouncing these names. Defensive lineman Brandon Dorius out of Oregon. Defensive lineman Junior Tafuna from Utah. Linebacker Jackson Sermon out of Cal. Linebacker Karene Reed from Utah. Linebacker Darius uh, Muasau from UCLA. Uh, defensive back Cole Bishop from Utah. Defensive back Kalen Bullock from USC. Defensive back Kitan Oladapo from Oregon State. And defensive back Travis Hunter out of Colorado. First team specialists were place kicker Joshua Cardi from Stanford. Punter Eddie uh, Saplicki out of USC. Travis Hunter out of Colorado. Relique Brown from USC. And... Uh, Anthony Gold out of Oregon State. So, again, not a bad list, but let's move on to the second team. Second team offense, Michael Penix, quarterback from Washington. Jade Knott, running back from Cal. Carson Steele, running back from UCLA. Jalen McMillan, wide receiver out of Washington. Jacob Cowing, wide receiver out of Arizona. Benjamin Urasek, tight end, Stanford. Jake Levengood, offensive line, Oregon State. Justin Dedich, offensive lineman, USC. Jonah Monheim, offensive lineman, USC. Jordan Morgan, offensive lineman, Arizona. And Jarrett Kingston from USC, another offensive lineman. Second team defense, Brendan Jackson, Washington State. Ron Stone Jr., Washington State. Van Fillinger, Utah. Zion Tupuola Fetui, Washington. Lander Barton, Utah. Mason Cobb, USC. Eric Gentry, USC. Chow Smith-Wade, Washington State. Jabbar Muhammad, Washington. Craig Woodson, California, Evan Williams, Oregon. Second team specialists, Camden Lewis, Oregon, Nick uh, Haberer out of Washington State, Jacob Cowing out of Arizona, and Silas Bolden out of Oregon State. Again, I don't think I would disagree with anyone on either of these lists, but it does come up with some interesting themes for Utah, especially, and I think this is number one, Cam Rising. Now, I did not expect Cam Rising to make first or second team. Um, you can, it can be said that the ACL injury had something to do with these selections. Um, he wasn't in honorable mentions as well, but this is interesting. You have the back-to-back Pac-12 champions in the Utes 
Yet their quarterback that has led them there both years is not in a first or second team all-conference selection. Is that cause for concern? I, I wouldn't say so. And the reason I say that is because Cam Rising as a quarterback has just been able to get it done. He doesn't do anything incredibly flashy. He's not an elite, elite quarterback. I'm meaning Heisman contender, you know, first round NFL draft pick. Cam Rising just gets the job done. And he allows the players around him to shine. Think about it. Cam Rising has been surrounded by fantastic talent his entire starting career at Utah. He's had Brant Keithy. He's had Dalton Kincaid. He's had Britton Covey. He's had Tavion Thomas in 2021. It then allows him to just be a good quarterback. And that's all Utah's ever needed him to be. He's had a few games where he's been elite. Of course, that USC game in 2022 up at Rice-Eccles. That was an elite game by Cam Rising. But he's never needed to be elite for the Utes to be successful. Now, is that a cause for concern? Again, I don't think so. And that's because, again, there's other players on the roster that are able to get it done. Sure, it's not as flashy. And maybe it is a cause for concern for maybe fans of the Pac-12 outside of Utah. I mean, look at the competition that Cam Rising is facing. Bo Nix, um, Caleb Williams, Michael Penix, DJ Ungulele, um, Jaden Delara, Cam Ward. Um, there's just so much competition, especially at the quarterback position within the conference. Shooter Sanders out of Colorado. I think Cam Rising being a good quarterback is just fine for Utah to get where they need to go. Now, I am looking for him to be at least up to the same level that he has been in years past, but that ACL injury is cause for concern. If Cam Rising isn't ready by the time that the home opener comes around and we have to play Florida, I'm not sure if Utah can three-peat a Pac-12 championship. The quarterback room is a quarterback room of the future, in my opinion, besides Bryson Barnes. Bryson proved that he can win average games, but he can't win the great games. And Utah's claiming to be that their goal is to become a playoff caliber team. Bryson Barnes cannot be your quarterback if Cam Rising goes down, that Utah can still have a shot at becoming a playoff caliber team. The quarterback room depth is key in becoming a championship team. And I say that because you look at Ohio State. If Ohio State goes down one or two or three quarterbacks in their quarterback room, they're still able to win the tough games. You look at Programs like Alabama, you go down two or three in the depth chart, the Crimson Tide are still able to win games. Utah hasn't been able to be that program. They've been able to create depth at all of the other skill positions except quarterback. There's no real depth there, in my opinion, for the Utes. Now, I will say this. I am excited for the future of Brandon Rose and Nate Johnson. I think both of, the, both of those guys are players who have phenomenal futures um, ahead of them. After spring ball, it was rumored that Brandon Rose kind of took over that second string spot because, again, the coaching staff realized Bryson Barnes can only take them so far. They want to start preparing for the future. And they feel it's the same type of mindset that the Utes had in 2017 when they had Tyler Huntley take over when Troy Williams was still with the program. They wanted to risk having an average year to set him up to have excellent years in you know, his, his years to come. And we saw that in 2018 and 19 when Tyler Huntley led the Utes to two back-to-back Pac-12 championship appearances. 
Now, Cam Rising, he can be the guy, once again, to lead them. He's proved that. Like, he leads Utah to Pac-12 championships. But can the guys behind him do that as well? I don't expect Cam Rising to make first or second team all Pac-12 selections at the end of the season. But I do expect him to play well if he is healthy. Something else that I think was also notable was that no running backs or wide receivers made the lists for Utah. Now, you notice that all of the other contenders, at least in my opinion, for the Pac-12 championship, had at least one player in either the running back or the wide receiver slot in Oregon State, Oregon, and Washington, and USC. That does concern me because I believe they need to have someone on first or second team from either running back or wide receiver if you do want to become a playoff caliber team. The great teams have one or two solid players, and of course that comes from the tight end room for Utah or the slot wide receiver position. But the actual wideouts, Utah's been lacking in, and it's noticeable. That's one of the things that Utah went heavy in on the transfer portal, trying to pick up Micah Pittman from Florida State and uh, Simmons from Indiana. I think that they're, they notice that that's something that needs to improve. Cam Rising has said multiple times, the next step in Utah's offense is throwing the deep ball. You have to involve the wide receivers. As fun as it is to watch the tight ends catch deep passes, that's the wide receiver's job, is to go out there, make a field, and gain 40 yards. Devon Vele, great wide receiver. But he's a, there's a steep drop-off between him and the other wideouts. Money Parks, great slot receiver. But we need tall guys that can go out and get passes. Um, Darren Carrington is a U- former Utah wide receiver that comes to mind. Kenneth, uh, excuse, yeah, Kenneth Scott, um, Drez Anderson. Like Utah has always had a go-to wide receiver, but they've never really had multiple. And they've never, in my opinion, been at least four deep in the wide receiver position. Utah needs to be that deep if they want to be the team that they claim they want to be, which is a playoff team. So at the end of the season, I think I need at least one player from either a running back perspective or a wide receiver perspective to make first or second team. As of right now, my prediction is that Jaquindon Jackson will make second team all-conference. I think he is poised to have a breakout season. Um, Jaquindon is a phenomenal player, and we saw that in his last few games with Colorado, USC, and a little bit of that Penn State game in the Rose Bowl. We saw some of the moves he was able to make. And keep in mind that he started playing running back when the season had already started. I mean, we were gearing up for ASU, and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, Jaquinda Jackson's uh, looking like he's warming up with the running backs out there. And then Jaquinda Jackson has some great moments throughout the entire season. And I think the Colorado and Pac- the Colorado game and the Pac-12 championship game is really what kind of solidified that he can be a star running back. I think he's poised to have a great year because once again, Andy Ludwig will be committed to the run to set up play action and then to let Cam Rising succeed with these new wideouts and of course the tight end group. But Jaquinta Jackson is going to be the key. I think he is the possibility he is he is the next step for Utah to make that next step. And I think if he has a successful campaign in 2023, the sky's the limit for Utah. They can win 11 games. They can repeat as Pac-12, championships, Pac-12 champions once again. But it lies on Jaquindon Jackson. And I think, depending on what he does, that's really the ceiling that, that Utah will achieve and earn. Now, the running back room is also deep. You have Makai Bernard. You have Chris Curry. 
Um, you have Jalen Glover. You have four guys that got good minutes last year. Um, really sad to see Chris Curry go down early in the season because I felt like he was poised to have a breakout season as well. Keep in mind that he came from LSU. So I think the running back room with Jaquinta Jackson at the helm is what will keep Utah in the race for the Pac-12 championship. Those are my thoughts on Utah football for this week. Stay tuned for more. But I think Utah football has got a great chance to be a good team once again. And I'll go more in depth into their schedule, into the roster. But as far as right now is concerned, like looking on paper, Utah's doing just fine. I think they're going to be just fine. But more to come within the coming weeks for Utah football. And we'll have a lot to talk about after Pac-12 media days. We're going to finish off with the best win bracket segment. And boy, oh boy, Utah fans were very vocal about this coming right out of the gate. So just to remind people, if you haven't heard, the best win bracket is a 16-seed tournament that I came up with that faces off, in my personal opinion, the best Utah football win wins from the 2000s. So each week, I release two matchups from the bracket with a highlight reel from each game on Twitter. I then create a Twitter poll and let the fans decide who moves on in this bracket. Now, there were, like I said, lots of Utah fans were super vocal. Um, I know I messed up the seeding in some, and then some fans said that there were other games that deserved to be on there that didn't make it. Again, this is a hard list, and I'm going to tell you first off kind of why I made it. I'm a producer for uh, BYU TV and their studio sports shows, and on their morning show, BYU Sports Nation, um, they came up with a best win bracket for BYU football. And they had the fans vote and decide, and then they kind of narrowed it down to what the best BYU football win of all time was. And after one day after the show, I had a coworker, co- coworker come up to me and he's like, hey, what would like the best win bracket be for Utah? And I was thinking about it, and BYU included all of their vintage games. And in fact, their 91 game against Miami at home when they upset the number one team in the country was their their number one seed by a mile. And I thought about doing some some old-time matchups from the 90s and the 80s. Of course, you got some great BYU-Utah matchups. But being a kid that was born in 2000, those games didn't really mean anything to me. And I felt like even if I did add a couple, the bracket would still be skewed towards the era of the 2000s. And I feel like there's so many good games that we have... I think we'll have a great time with this bracket. In fact, I left off games that people were wanting to add from the 2000s. Um, The game that just missed my bracket was 2014 versus UCLA. Um, I know a few fans on Twitter were vocal about that one. Missing the mark, but I feel like the other games, I'll talk about my reasons for putting them where I did um, and why, kind of why I included all of these games. So last week's matchup, it was the one seed Sugar Bowl from 2008-09 versus Alabama against the 16 seed 2012 Holy War versus BYU. Now, of course, the Sugar Bowl versus Alabama is like BYU in, in like BYU's best win bracket. It is the number one seed by mile. It is the best win of Utah football from the 2000s, without a doubt. It's not the original BCS Buster game, but it was, in my opinion, Utah football's best team of all time going up against Alabama and Nick Saban in an incredible power five program in a game that the national media thought that Utah had no chance of winning. And in fact, before the game, the 
color commentator was like, yeah, Alabama's they're prepped for this game. They didn't look over Utah. Like they got this in the bag and then Utah smoked them right out of the gate. There has been nothing more satisfying in my life than watching that first quarter of the sugar bowl. Now 16 seed 2012 Holy war versus BYU. Now you may be asking, why is this going over 2014 UCLA? First off, BYU at the time, that was still a pretty good rivalry. Um, 2012, again, second year for Utah in the Pac-12. This is just coming off of an absolute beatdown from the Utes in Provo when Utah walked in to Lavelle Edwards Stadium and won 54-10 with a team that was just one of my favorites, honestly, growing up. John White, that was his breakout game. Um, and Drez Anderson had some great touchdowns as well. Just an absolute beatdown. So BYU comes in ranked 25th. Riley Nelson's now the quarterback. And Utah goes up 24-7 to in the third quarter. And then BYU starts to make a run. Jamal Williams scores his first ever Cougar touchdown in this game. And then with only a few seconds to go, BYU, a fourth and I believe it was 19, they throw a 47-yard pass to Cody Hoffman who gets it within field goal range. It may, may have been a little bit out because the next play, Riley Nelson attempts to throw a quick pass. It gets deflected, and it seems as though time has run out. And so everyone storms the field, but then the refs are like, no, there's one second left. So then BYU lines up for a over 50-yard field goal attempt. Utah blocks it, but as the ball is still live in play, fans rush the field again, which then causes a 15-yard penalty. And now BYU has a 34-yard field goal or something like that. They bring in a new kicker, and it goes off the upright, and then Utah wins the game. The fans storm the field again. Insane. Three storming of the fields in one game. I mean, you, can't, you, couldn't, you could not forget that as a Utah fan, and especially because of the supposed comebacks by my BYU friends growing up in middle school where they were like, yeah, we purposely missed that field goal because we didn't want to play on Sunday. Like That just enraged me as a kid growing up. And so this was a game that, I think was awesome start to finish lots of emotion and a fantastic finish, which gave us some of the best BYU Utah football rivalry photos of all time. Watching those BYU football players just in complete agony as Utah football fans are storming them, rushing in their face, crazy good photos, but an even better game. The result of this matchup without any reason of a doubt, Alabama won with 96% of the vote. So you guys, Agreed with me, Alabama is moving on. Second matchup. I had the 8 seed 2015 game versus Oregon against the 9 seed 2015 game versus Michigan. These are two very different games. 2015 Oregon was by far and to this day the most surprising Utah football game of my entire life. You walk into Eugene, Utah's ranked 18th in the country, Oregon is ranked 13th. Utah, they kind of go back and forth for a little bit. And it seems like a close game. And then in the second half, Utah just blows thing, things wide open. And it's plays that are just blatantly bad defense put on by the Ducks. But Utah's just taking advantage. And it is awesome. They're having some crazy cool plays. You have Devontae Booker throwing a pass. You have Caleb Rep, who came went on to become like a defensive end. He's, caughting, he's catching two touchdown passes. Then you have Booby Hobbs with... In my opinion, the one of the greatest college football plays of all time and a fake punt return for a touchdown. I mean, at, by the third and fourth quarter, I was just laughing when Utah was scoring because it was just that insane. Nine seed 2015 game versus Michigan. This was the home opener. 
This was the beginning of what many Utah football fans believed, uh, the beginning of a Devontae Booker run for Heisman. Jim Harbaugh comes in here, just fresh off of his uh, run in the NFL, now in with Michigan. And right off the bat, it's kind of like the same thing. I'm trying to find an equivalent, but maybe it's like coaches that go into Texas or um, it's kind of similar like that. Like you have, a, I guess a good thing would be like Scott Frost with Nebraska. You have a prized alum go back and everyone's like, oh my gosh, like he can take us to victory. And Jim Harbaugh going to Michigan, everyone's like right off the bat, like these guys, they're going to the playoff, like they're going to be good. And Utah puts on a show. And it's a close game. It's a fun game. And Utah wins it 24-21 thanks to Justin Thomas's pick six that I believe rocked Rice Eccles more than most plays that I have. There are very few plays that have beaten the level of loudness that I felt those games. Oregon won that matchup with 68% of the vote. I had that as the 8-9 seed matchup, again, because it's two very different games. But I thought both of them were fun in very different ways. But most of you thought that watching Utah beat down the Ducks was way more satisfying. And you know what? I don't blame you because I did have it as the higher seed. Now, this week's matchups. Let's, let's preview what we got going on this week. So on Friday, I'll release it. It's going to be the eight seed. Uh, excuse me. It's going to be the two seed Fiesta Bowl win, the BCS Buster versus Pittsburgh against the 15C 2004 home opener versus Texas A&M. So I've got two games again from the same season. Um, the two-seed Fiesta Bowl. This is the original BCS buster. That's why I have it at number two. This is a historic win. It wasn't a close game, but this was a defining moment in college football. This opened the door for Boise State. This opened the door for... Um, BYU, other programs that went to New Year's Six games and were able to win. Um, the 2004 home opener versus Texas m is just the, the tone setter for that season, and I think that's why it's important. It's an SEC team, and it's it just really set the tone for Utah throughout the rest of the season as they went undefeated. So I'm really excited for that matchup. Um, the other matchup, this one, in my opinion, is a really good one. This might be the best of the bracket. It's the 7 c 2021 Pac-12 Championship going up against the 10 c 2013 Upset versus Stanford. So the 7 seed, and I know many of you are going to think that the 10 seed is criminally underrated. I understand that, but this is, this is where I've placed it. The Pac-12 Championship game against Oregon was, once again, not a close game, but just special. It was magical in a way, mostly because we went into that game and people were like, Utah can't beat Oregon. Because you can't, it's really hard to beat a team twice in the same season, let alone in the span of two weeks. And Utah just went in there and right off the bat, their first drive scores a touchdown. And you're like, oh, we're, we're in this and we're in this to win it. And that was just such a special game. And once again, it's the first Pac-12 championship for Utah. And there was just, from where the season started to where it ended, there was, that was a rare night for Utah fans. And that's something I'll probably always remember as a Utes fan. But the 10 seed 2013 upset versus number five Stanford is something that I will also always remember as a Utah fan. Now, that 2013 year is something that we as Utah fans would like to forget as a five and seven season. But that game was special. I mean, you have a young Travis Wilson who's putting on a clinic. Um, I believe it was Bubba Poole who 
had a fantastic rushing game and the Utah defense shutting down number five Stanford, especially at, you know, within the, the 10 yard line at the end of the game, they hold them down. That is something I will always remember as a Utah fan. The fact that we beat the number five team in the country with that Utah squad. Fantastic game. Um, I think it's, as some fans mentioned, a defining moment in Utah's span as a program. I think that launched them into what would be the 2014 season, the 2015 seasons. Like That launched them into winning as a program. So I'm really excited for this week's matchups. I hope you are too. But this best win bracket has gotten a lot of interaction, a lot of responses. So Utah fans, keep it up. And be sure to keep voting so we can decide which Utah football win is the best from the 2000s. Thank you all for listening. That is this week's episode of The Thatcher Effect. Be sure to tune in next week for more updates on the best win bracket and more thoughts on Utah football after Pac-12 Media Days. That is it for now. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week.